We are back. I want to say I'm sorry, you guys, for the delay between shows here, but we should be back on a regular schedule now. Had a baby on the way, as you guys know, and that's kind of a, it's been a little little bit of a rough go every time, but uh, he's doing well now. He's out of the NICU, supposed to be off of oxygen today. Everything's going well there. Books, the glass factory, they have shipped finally, so we're done fighting the supply chain issues on the publisher side. I apologize for that too. There's nothing, absolutely nothing I could do about that. That was all the publisher, but those things have shipped. So you should be getting those right about the time. Uh, well, sometime here pretty quick. I guess I, I won't speak for the post office because you know how slow they are. In this episode, we're going to check in with Joe Kent and see how his race is going. As you guys know, he's the only candidate in this race that matters, and I just love the guy. He really is the best of us. Thanks again, Joe. This is Braxton Coy. I'm back here with Joe Kent. After we did, uh, Joe actually did the very first episode of this podcast, which was cool. And after that, we had talked and said it would be neat to do an update uh, as, you know, sort of as the campaign progressed. So I know that there's been some interesting developments. if, if you have, if you're okay with it, I wouldn't mind starting by talking about that poll that you posted as maybe yeah. a week or two ago. Yeah, man, I would, because the poll turned out really well, I'd love to brag about it. Yeah. So we had, uh, um, I, for whatever reason, the Trafalgar group, which is a pretty well-known uh, polling organization for people's, for people who aren't like knee deep in the Politico world, Trafalgar is the organization that called Trump winning Michigan and Wisconsin and I cup in Ohio, I believe in 2016. So they're one of the few polling groups that didn't have egg on their face uh, in November of 16. So they took interest in this race and then kind of out of the blue uh, published some pretty nice results for us. So overall, I'm only seven points behind my 11 year incumbent, Jamie Herrera Butler, 10 points up from all of my uh, competitors, my nearest competitor. And then I am 10 points ahead in, in um, I guess it's a positive name recognition for people who knew both of us. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm kind of suffering from a lack of name recognition, but for people that knew both Jamie Herrera Butler and me, I was up 10 points from her, which is pretty bad for someone who's been around for 11 years. And I've been at this since uh, February. So pretty happy to see that, uh, that response. Yeah, totally. In fact, that was what stuck out to me the most was your um, positive name recognition was quite high and hers was actually quite low but then your overall name recognition was kind of quite a bit lower than hers but then your negative name recognition was like nothing it was very very low it was like 11 10 percent or something it was very very low so i thought it was neat i was like holy cow this guy might actually pull this thing off (laughs) yeah man no i I, like i said never as you know, and everybody else knows, I haven't uh, ever run for anything before. So I just kind of been going with my instincts. Obviously, once we made some money, I brought in a guy like Matt Brainerd, who's, who's uh, very uh, intelligent on this political game that we're playing. Uh, but I've been really running a kind of a campaign from my heart. I haven't really gotten much coaching on what to say or, or you know, where to go. We've just been attempting to be kind of everywhere in the district and then everywhere on the media. So podcast and anybody who will basically let me uh let me let me uh deliver my message we've been reaching out to and, and just exploiting every opportunity so that's that's been good to see i think it just speaks to how sick and tired people are of the status quo yeah i think you're right and you're we're feeling that we're kind of feeling that everywhere um 
it seems even uh, so even in more of the kind of libertarian media sphere, there's some big changes happening there. And it's not just like the new, you know, the Mises caucus, they're doing their own thing or the, you know, they've sort of got their new strategy, which is interesting. I follow that stuff a little bit too, but some of the older, um, older voices, even in libertarianism are talking in very new and fresh ways. And so I think you're seeing this, like, it's almost as if there are coalitions scattered throughout this sort of political world that are all looking for an answer to uh, uh, the problem at the same time. Does that make sense? It's like, you're, you're kind of seeing the same uh, similar behaviors in different uh, areas of politics right now that like everyone's sort of scrambling for an answer to the status quo is what it seems like. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, I think there's a big, when I hit on, you know, the key themes of, of my campaign, which overall is that the, the elites and the establishment have really failed us and ha- and do not have our best interests in mind. People that resonates with people for different reasons. Sometimes the economic message really gets people, you know, fired up about shipping our manufacturing overseas or what what's been done to our timber and natural resources industry here. Um, you know, other times it's the the endless wars, the foreign policy, that type of thing. Um, but then we also have had, you know, we, we were on the front lines of the breakdown of law and order in, in two major cities. And so again, that establishment failure there too just speaks heavily. So I, I do think you're right. There's people that are looking for for different solutions, but then also someone that's not going to, you know, sugarcoat it and give them the same old, hey, we're going to solve this with like tax cuts and conservative principles that I won't really define, but I'm just going to say conservative principles a whole bunch. <laughs> so that's, uh, yeah, that's, um, it's just the, the, the nature of the way things are right now. And especially, I don't know how you guys are probably way more sane out there in, in Idaho, but our governor is, is kind of on the war path again with the COVID restrictions. He never really let up with them. So that's, that's created a whole another wave of people who just never were politically active before that are that are showing up at events and, and are just really hungry to hear a message that says we don't have to just lay here and take it. Well, I love to hear. So the lockdowns are one of the things that got me so loud about politics. I've always been I, I used to be kind of apolitical, but I always kind of followed it and paid attention. I just wasn't a diehard at all. But the lockdowns really got me wound up so if, if you're yeah. let's say you're going back into that and it sounds like we all may be in the future mm-hmm. how does what do you do from your position to help your constituency you know because it's really the governor that's doing it to him right yeah it's our governor i mean but we you know it's our governor but we've also had some of our i guess i would call them part of the the administrative state really in the uh, the education realm that are that are going along with this. So Inslee is is an absolute activist. He doesn't get anywhere near as much as no, enough credit. I was telling people at CPAC that Inslee is the Cuomo of the West. Because he, <laughs> he, he was actually stuffing old people in, into uh, nursing homes way before Cuomo was. Oh, really? Uh, that, yeah, yeah. He, and, and these are people that were coming from the Pacific. So they were even geographically closer to China. So he, he, he deserves way more credit in this than, <sighs> than he gets. Um, but he, he wants to put, he's already actually gone through this. He's doing this right now. He's putting vaccine clinics in high schools. Washington state has this really horrible, um, they call it a mature minor status. Um, and this has been really turned against parents in this state where if your kid is 13 years old, they don't have, the school doesn't have to disclose medical issues back to the parents. And this is, there's horror story after horror story with this. Uh, this has been used 
for kids to, you know, essentially submit claims that they're being abused when they're not, but then also to start gender therapy, um, all, all kinds of horrible, you know, Whoa. things that, you know, not mature minors they're, that are being allowed to go off on these, um, I don't know what you, even, even how to describe it. They're, they're being uh, enabled to do harmful things to their bodies without the consent of their parents. There, mm-hmm. There's that clause there too. They're sticking the vaccine clinics in the schools and then socially pressuring kids to get the vaccines. Um, and then there's also Inslee's trying to make sure that he wants everyone vaccinated by the fall. Otherwise, the kids that are not vaxxed, they have to get tested once every two weeks and continue to wear masks. So they'll be, and they'll be segregated too in the schools. So really that what I've, I've done, I mean, my kids go to school here too. So I'm concerned about it as a parent uh, is just show up to as many events as I can and go to school board meetings. And that's really helped me keep my uh, finger on the pulse of what's going on. And and it's really actually been pretty, um, you know, both shocking, but also inspiring. It's shocking to listen to some of these bureaucrats talk and justify. I, I sat in a meeting with a, with a superintendent who I'm sure is generally an intelligent person but he was trying to tell these parents that, look, we just had to all hurry. We all had to hurry up and get our kids vaccinated so that the government would let us take our masks off. And, and I, you know, I was just like, are, do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth, man? Like what wow. you're saying right now, you know, like we have to just do something that we all think is wrong that could have damage that we don't even, we can't even fully define yet just so we can all take our masks off. Like what's making you have your mask on right now. And he, you know, for whatever reason, he's just, in this mindset that you have to do exactly what the government says, otherwise you're a bad human. So it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's all inspiring out here to be honest with you. Yeah. And I didn't even mean to delve too far into this, but what, what we learned in 2020 is that it was not an exaggeration to say that the the left has kind of turned politics into a religion. People have been saying that for years, Oh yeah, but, I mean, it is it is fully evident on its face now that it is literally a religion to them. I thought I understood that before 2020, but I don't I don't think I I fully grasped it, especially going to these meetings and listening like that superintendent I just talked about. But I've heard other administrators say, well, this is just the way it is. And I'm like, you're 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 speaking like you have no actual free will or agency (laughs) like you haven't. And I mean, I get it. Like in March of 2020 or February, I guess March, you know, that spring of 2020, I understood nobody had enough data really to make informed decisions. And there was some blind faith that we had to put into our institutions. I think a lot of us that have, you know, been in the military and been in government, we were, you know, we were pretty skeptical, but, you know, that's based on our, uh, our personal experiences. But if you didn't have those personal experiences, like I get it. But now that we're a year and a half past that, man, it just, it, it boggles my mind, but the government's done a good job of setting up like an incentive system, you know, along with the media that labels anybody who's not adhering to exactly what Fauci and the CDC says that then you, then you must be a other person. You must be a Trump supporter. You must be a science denier or whatever. And, you know, in our circles, I, I think we all laugh at that, but there's a lot of folks out there that are, they're stuck in there and you can, but at these, at these meetings, I think you can see some of these people who have never even been politically active or they've never considered themselves to be like a conservative or a Trump supporter or whatever, you can kind of see them get red pilled. And it's been, mm. that's been neat to watch. Cause it's, you know, folks that probably wouldn't have cared until their kids got messed with. Yeah. That, you know, that kind of happened to my wife. She's, she's very much a normie and you know, all this talk about vaccinating kids has pushed her over 
the edge, you know, like vaccinating kids for COVID specifically uh, is really yeah. pushed her over the edge. So I'm, I, I believe it. I'll bet there's a lot of uh, suburban house moms or however you want. Of course, we don't live oh, yeah. in the suburbs, but you know what I mean, that are waking oh, yeah. up. And that's a good thing. Yeah, man, definitely. Well, so you're talking about being othered. They have been othering anyone who was a Trump guy. Like you've been a Trump guy forever, but they've been like othering people like you for a little while, at least five years now. But they're taking it to a brand new level. We always suspect. In fact, the last time we talked, we talked about how they were, you know, you couldn't straight up say they were colluding but it was pretty obvious that they were colluding with the government. Right. And, I mean, it was like pretty clear. And now you've got uh, Saki, you know, uh, Pasaki or whatever the heck her name is out there just straight up saying that, yeah, there yeah. were like, I mean, and we knew, okay, so there's face members of uh, in Joe Biden's cabinet. There are people that used to work for Facebook and used to work for YouTube. So we know that that that's there, but it's a whole nother thing to have, you know, the press secretary saying straight up, yes, we're colluding with the largest yeah. social media network in the, in the world yeah. to kick you off. And, and, but what we think the problem is, is that that's not going far enough. <laughs> like right. everyone else should take Facebook's, you know, if, if you get booted from Facebook, then you should lose your privileges to banking is basically what she, it sounded like she was saying, you know, I mean, she was laying it all out there in the open and essentially saying that, you know, uh, our social media platforms just became like the new ministry of information. You know, it's just like that, that they're going to be the arbiters, you know, in direct coordination with the government, which is absolutely insane. Third world banana dictator republic type of stuff. Whatever label you want to put on it, it's the opposite of what America is supposed to be. And, you know, it's all the veils I think are, are, have been dropping in the last year. And this is one of the last ones. And then, you know, later on that day, or maybe a day later, when Joe Biden asked, answered that question, uh, kind of off the cuff, that someone asked him about Saki's comments, and, and Biden justified it by saying, well, the people that are spreading disinformation, they're killing people, <laughs> which I think is pretty incredible, because, you know, the whole labeling of others things, when you label someone as an other, like Trump is literally Hitler, that gives you a free pass to do kind of anything, because you do anything to stop a guy like Hitler, it's very dangerous. I think what someone like Biden says, like, well, they're killing people. And if they're killing people, the assumption is he is the president who has a good deal of uh, uh, control over the elements that have the uh, monopoly on violence by the state. Mm-hmm. He could he could deploy those and turn those loose. That's not a that's not a conspiracy theory or a really far bridge mentally to jump from. Cause if he's saying that he's articulating that, he's almost giving himself this duty that he has to somehow stop that. So it's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible to watch in real time. Well, and you just take Biden's career in uh, the Congress and Senate and he has always been pro-war. He like, he he doesn't have a problem killing people. That's, that's never been an issue for him except for bin Laden. He didn't want to get, he didn't want to kill bin Laden, but he was cool with killing, you know, (laughs) random. Right. Yeah. So he's kind of, he's also really bad at making those calls, but, but yeah, so I, I, I tend to lean a little bit maybe what would sound Alex Jonesy, but I would not at all be surprised to find that they open up a very, maybe you can call it a soft war all you want, but some kind of war on terror at home thing. I know people like you talking about it for a while, but now I'm starting to think that like they're, that it's real. It's not just like hyperbole, you know? 
No, not I mean, especially when you know you look at the guy's uh, cabinet choices and, and who he's putting in his administration. Like Chipman, I think is one of the greatest examples. I mean, you know, Biden has been very clear for quite a while that he wants to take people's guns. Now he just said that people who are spreading information that he doesn't particularly agree with are killing people. You know, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he puts a guy like David Chipman, who was actually on the ground in Waco and, and Ruby Ridge, who's literally killed innocent men, women, and children to take their guns because the government said they couldn't have them. And then it, then the government created this whole other narrative about how they're very dangerous terrorists like he's not he is not screwing around like you don't put a guy like chipman in charge if you're screwing around right right well and he's done the same thing with um doi with deb holland and yeah uh, gosh what's her name that she just wants to run the blm i can't remember her name right now tracy Oh yeah, yeah the the tree spike and eco terrorist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. the one that who's uh, one of her I can't remember if it was a dissertation or what, but some paper she wrote in college about how children were uh, what did she call it? basically equated them to uh, environmental like viruses or yeah like yeah. You know, little pollutant monsters. Oh. Yeah, again, yeah, man. If he if he was if he just wanted to put like some Greenpeace person there, or Greenpeace is even fairly radical. If he just wanted to put like some Green New Deal there, he could have hired one of like AOC's like staffers and been like, okay, see, look, we care about the environment. Nope, he's he's got to go and find like a literal eco terrorist, someone who's used yeah. force to go after these policies. And then, I mean, it, the, the examples just go on and on. I mean, the the Health and Human Secretary Services like deputy, the the transgender person mm-hmm. Levine, he could have picked pretty much any other. Trans, transgender person but he he picked the one that's like yeah i think it's totally cool to give puberty bothers to kids and yeah. then wouldn't answer the question when she was directly questioned about it it's like okay like it's it's pretty clear the administration has no issues with lying and having people that are willing to use force um that are going to be charged with going after the the people that are branded as the others yeah, and if there's anything about this that actually makes me feel good, is it's that I I don't think that this is the first administration who's had this sort of attitude toward people like me in this country, but this is the first administration that's been brazen enough to just put it all out there, so now people are able to see it, you know. So you know, it, like at least maybe people are being woken up, and and if not the history books will be a lot easier to write in the end because it's, it would be like the most obvious rise of like just low grade crap, Stalinistic, tyrannical, you know, <laughs> but without the, without the testosterone or the intellect is kind of the, yeah, man. No, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, and, and it actually does give me a little bit of relief and gives me some optimism. Um, it's just so blatant right now that, you you don't sound like a conspiracy theorist or you don't have to really explain extremely con uh complicated concepts to people i mean anyone anyone who's remotely paying attention to the news right now it, it's it's hard to um to deny a lot of this stuff because i i just think that the biden administration they just don't care you know and then all their running dogs their lackeys they're like we have control of all three branches of government right now we have the media let's move as fast as we possibly can and i i frankly think and this is why i'm optimistic that they they've overplayed their hand um and there's going to be a great awakening in the country i i think you know whatever back in january and february when a lot of us were saying like hey this last election wasn't right and we can prove it. People were like, you guys are crazy. But the more time that goes on, it's like, oh, well, actually, it's looking like these guys got way too confident. And they they did 
they did stick their finger on the scale in a very big way. And then same thing with January 6th. It seemed like everything from the worst insurrection in the world to like, okay, well, maybe there was just some screw up in the planning. You're still like, oh, wait a sec. They they completely lied about the way Sicknick was killed. And now they won't disclose how many undercover agents were part of the planning process. And they haven't charged anybody that was part of the planning process. Um, okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's all kind of getting laid out there. And I, I, I'm a little optimistic because I, I just think there's enough people right now in the country that are seeing it. And I, and I think folks like, like us um, are the majority of the country. I, I don't think it's all, you know, shrieking blue checks on Twitter. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank God. Because <laughs> that it's hard enough just to navigate that, you know, an hour a day or whatever spread out in 15 minute intervals. I can't imagine that being my entire life. Sometimes in fact, I get on there and I think, is this what it feels like to live in a city? (laughs) It's like, just like reading people. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I think it's true in a lot of major American cities. It probably would seem like, you know, you just live in Twitter universe, but I, that's, but that's part of the, that's part of their scam though. Isn't it? I mean, with the mainstream media and the tech oligarchs, they want to make it seem like, we're just us weirdos in, in the hills are having these conversations and we're not the majority of the country, but it's like, no, I think most suburban rural places, which is the vast majority of America, we, we do feel this way, you know, and we probably even have more support in the cities. Those people just are shamed into the closet. Yeah. And you know what, uh, this, this is something that they would argue with, but I, I actually think is, I, I don't, I think anyway, I think they're wrong. People that live like, this that are more suburban or rural are in actually less of a bubble than people that are in a city because we're totally subjected to city person culture everywhere we turn and everywhere we look and they get none of our stuff so we have our lives and you know sort of look through the window at them all the time so yeah i i also think that we're in some ways more culturally informed and and well within 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 the you know americana if you will you know we're more broadly cultured and understand the country at large better than they do and some of that is showing up um which you know this some similar stuff happened in the in the obama administration you pick too many people that are you know uh kind of uh leftist academic city folks and they start to make some they just it, it shows is what I guess what I'm trying yep. to say, and that's happening here too. Um, and I, you know, you said earlier that they got the media, which is true. I mean, that's just mm-hmm. totally undeniable. But I I think the where he came was it Biden himself or maybe Saki came out and said that something like sixty percent of the quote unquote uh, COVID misinformation is coming from eleven people. Well, yeah so they're they've got a list which and you know have a list yep. bernstein satchel like I, I can just think of some of the people that are on there already you know um, yeah but it does show you that they are going uh, probably glenn greenwald maybe just because they'll throw him in there somehow um but it, it does seem like that 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 to me that tips their hand in that they're they're realizing they're losing control over the so-called fourth estate, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. they've got to ditch some of these dudes because Bernstein, you don't have to agree with what, whatever he's put out, but he's been thorough on COVID mm-hmm. this whole time. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, totally. And I mean, some of it too could be they want to see like, hey, hey, we're not coming for all you guys. It's just 11. You know, it's sort of like it's just a mask. It's just a vaccine. It's just, you know, just get the vaccine. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that too might be some conditioning, you know, but I, I do think you're right that we, the alternative media platforms and the fact that, you know, they can, they can deplatform people here and there, but there are a lot of alternative sources now. It's not just, they don't just need to buy off CNN and MSNBC and Twitter. Like there's, you know, there's platforms like you're on right now where people can still share information and have their voice heard. Yeah. And you were on Tim pool. That's a guy who's coming up and doing some pretty cool stuff. And Oh yeah. Yeah. And the alternative media space is one of the most interesting things. I like, I don't know personally, I'm kind of, I know you're not, but I'm kind of pro balkanization. So I think like, let's balkanize our media first. Let's just start yeah. decentralizing stuff and see what happens. You know, like let's yeah, just sort of go yeah. for it. It seems like that's definitely happening de facto. You know, I try to watch, uh, at least listen to a little bit of left-wing stuff every now and again, but it's, it's usually just so kind of cringe. That it's hard to, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's easier. It's easier when you know what the person's bias is, then you can make your own informed decision. It's the, it's the folks that are just trying to play it down the middle that usually end up having the, you know, the most egregious agenda. Yeah. And you know, I, I was actually talking to a mutual friend of ours the other day about this, but one, one of the reasons that I think that 2020 and all of this is, um, well, everything that has emerged from 2020 in the alternative media space, it looks so defragmented because I think people are starting to realize that left and right are one, uh, a reason that they're so hard for people to, to define is that they think of them in terms of uh, Democrat and Republican, which is the wrong way to think of left and right. And then if they don't, if they don't go that way, then they say they use just basically economics. And they're like, well, yeah. if you're, you know, a tax and spend, then you're just on the left somewhere. And if, you know, if you're more fiscally conservative, then apparently you're, you're on the right. But I, I mean, that's not been historically true, at least not broadly. It's been true in America, kind of, but it hasn't been true broadly. And so it's almost like you're seeing a new, well, like what Michael Malice called a new right coalition forming and economics are not all that important to these people because they're so, they feel like they're so imposed upon culturally and uh, honestly, even just in in their homes with their family that they're not so worried about taxes right now. No. Yeah. And that's just been that that's all that the GOP has to offer for so long is they just talk about tax cuts. They kind of throw out some libertarian talking points, but then like when they're in power, they don't even do the, the hard things that would actually make these tax cuts like sustainable. And, and it just ends up being kind of boilerplate nonsense. But then on, on the key cultural issues, they're the first ones to say, Hey guys, we just have to compromise on this. You know, it's like, well, what what do you, you know, that, that quintessential question that I think becomes more relevant every day. Well, then what are you trying to conserve? Like you're, you're you're a conservative, but like on every cultural issue, we seed ground and it kind of all ends up back with this whole platform of like, well, but we don't want to pay a lot of taxes. And you're like, okay, well, who's the we? Because I see like billionaires getting tax breaks, but I see all of our taxes either staying the same or, or rising every now and again, there's some relief there when a Republican first comes into office, but you know, even the, even the economic issues don't make it much sense. And, and, and again, how much are you, I mean, everyone's always worried about the economy, but when, you know, there's 
drag queen story hour showing up at your kid's school, you know, yeah. or you get these, all these bureaucrats, even in the private school who are just like, well, you know, I guess you guys should probably just get your kids vaccinated. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. wait a sec. You, right. you, I don't even want to, I didn't want to hear about your tax cut right now. <laughs> no. Like, and, and how, how are you guys, how are you guys not fighting for this? You know, that's uh that's the question that I have for the GOP on, on so many different levels. Well, look at your, that, um, that term that I had never heard before mature minor. And I, maybe that's a legal yeah. term or something, but you know, they, they, if they I, made it up. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, <laughs> so that's an Inslee leftist term thing. Yeah. To get control of your kids. Yeah. It's part of their, part of their agenda. Well, there you go. Exactly. If, if I was living in Washington and, this whole mature minor thing was happening. The last thing I would be worried about is my property taxes. I would be like, why the hell are you guys not dealing with, you know, these crazy rainbow monkey transgender story hours. Like let's deal with, let's, let's handle this stuff. And when you talk about taxes, when you're not pushing crazy crap into my children's soft brains, you know, I have a 13 year old daughter. There is nothing mature about a 13 year old girl. So no, man. Yeah. And when I was a 13 year old boy, I was freaking train wreck. Like, <laughs> come on. All 13 year olds are train wrecks. Like, come on. Yeah. They don't understand. They barely. Yeah. Yeah. They just, they're just, yeah, they don't, they, you can, they cannot make this. Well, we have consent laws, sexual consent laws for a reason, right. Or sex consent laws for, mm-hmm. for a reason. So if you can't, you know, anyway, if you, if you can't do that, then you shouldn't be, you know, getting medical procedures performed. That's just right. That shit crazy. Yeah. So, they, I mean, they'll, they'll cave on those, those major issues. And then when they talk taxes and they even want to talk economy, it, it's, it's like, so I'd say low information and so transactional that it's transparent because when it comes time to like do an actual economic heavy lift, like, Hey, how about we bring back manufacturing you get half the GOP, if not more, especially their, their upper echelons of their donor base that are just like, whoa, we can't do that because we get a really, we, the upper 1% elites get this really great deal out of it because it doesn't affect us whatsoever. Or it doesn't affect our working class jobs. You know, it, it, it's actually good. It's actually a good thing for the elite. So they don't want to fight for that, you know, and then you get the massive bailouts in, in 08 after they, you know, treated Wall Street like it was a casino. And then now you have companies like, you know, BlackRock buying up subdivision after subdivision. And it's like, well, sorry, conservatives, like continue to vote for us because we'll we'll give you a break on your income taxes. Too bad you'll never be able to afford a house. We're right. not going to fight that battle, <laughs> you know, or your cultural battles. Every now and again, I'm going to say tax cuts. And uh, I don't know, maybe we'll build the wall I, you know, if we get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, someone well, calls me a racist. No, I'm back off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, we'll cut your taxes, but uh, uh, sorry that we shut down the business that had been in your family for seventy years, and you went bankrupt on that. But hey, you know, five percent less on your income tax this year. We're doing our best. You know, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, because to me, the lockdowns were the most outrageous. Just straight up tyrannical action i have seen in my lifetime yeah. i i, I yeah. can't even believe it um largest transfer of wealth in, in our in our history and i don't even think we've begun to scratch the surface of what the second second order and third order effects are going to be especially on how many small businesses were killed off i completely agree well and think about this they're 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 now that they're admitting 
that inflation is happening, then they're going to have to raise interest rates. Well, guess who gets screwed when they hike interest rates? The middle-class yep. guy that's trying to start his business over again. Like, yep. That's not going to hurt exactly. BlackRock. You know? Yep. And then, and then, of course, like during COVID, which, which major, which companies gained? It was all the big ones. Like Walmart didn't miss a paycheck. As a matter of fact, they went up. Amazon went up because everybody was ordering things, you know, but heaven forbid the burger joint down the street did anything but take out and they couldn't sustain that. Like it's, you know, it's just absolute insanity. But again, the GOP is very happy to cater to yes. those billionaires because really the GOP can be bought. They just want to win the next election. They just want to get these massive, you know, camp campaign contributions. They don't, they don't give a crap about, you know, the working class guy whose job is getting undercut by illegal immigration, the recent college grad of student debt, whose job has been taken by a, an Indian on an H-1B visa or the small business owner who totally got screwed over by COVID because the government said like, you can't, your first amendment doesn't apply anymore. Right. Right. And, and, and that's why it's so hard. That's partially why it's so hard not to start feeling conspiratorial when you just look at 2020, because it's, it's just so, if you just, if you just apply logic now, now we both work for the government, so we know that's not exactly how the government works, but if you were to just apply logic to the scenario or to the situation, rather, if you have everybody locked in their homes and they've got to get out to presumably to get food and water or whatever, well, if there's a bunch of little stores open that, that right. gives them like options to go to, then that's spreading people out, you know, further like decentralizing it, you would think would make it so they don't rub elbows so much and don't transmit the disease. Well, instead, our answer was, well, everything's got to be closed but just go to Walmart because everything you need is at Walmart. So like instead of spreading that customer base out across your city, you ended up with 20,000 people going to one Walmart. It's like, well, no wonder lockdowns seem to have perhaps spread the disease faster than not having a lockdown at all. Like this doesn't seem hard to figure out to me, but. Yeah, and, and like initially I kind of would have cut everybody a little bit of slack because it was a new thing. I mean, now we know that Fauci was being completely and totally dishonest of how much he knew, but we didn't know that then. But after, you know, come by the time this, you know, the late winter and early spring was over, I think everyone knew that we were just locking the country down for no good reason whatsoever. But that's when the financial incentive kicked in. You know, mm -hmm. I think the government, they, they got more power and government hates giving up power. And then you have all these major corporations that are just like, oh, my God, this is a this is amazing. <laughs> our yes. business has gone up like Amazon's delivering like crazy. And, and then, you know, it this just fits in with everything else the left's been trying to do for decades by driving people out of their small towns, locking them in cities, apartments. They're buying up all the, the property and all the housing. So people are going to be perpetual renters. The economy is dying minus Amazon. So you can go work in an Amazon warehouse as like mm -hmm. your only option. You know, and again, conservatives are saying like, I don't know, maybe we'll pass the COVID spending relief bill. I guess maybe we'll get to it, um, and we'll send you guys some more money. <laughs> like it's, it's it's either that or it's a it's a private company, bro. You know, it's like those are the exactly. answers you get out of them. It, I think the average conservative voter, not the politicians, because I the, the politicians are just, in my opinion, the worst people in the country right now. But yeah, um, I think the average conservative voter doesn't quite understand that the left just wants things centralized they don't really care where it's centralized so like if 
um, if retail is all aggregated under Amazon and Walmart, well, sure, those are private companies, but the left doesn't care because once it's centralized into a place, well, then it's very easy for the government to exert power over two companies. It's much harder to exert power over a decentralized market that can adjust to your laws or whatever. So they just or what you're whatever you legislate, you know, your rules. Well, same thing in the ag industry. They want, they just, they want Monsanto, Simplots, you know, big ag, ag Inc. They want that because it's very easy to control ag Inc, you know? And so, yeah, like I, this whole, it's a private company stuff. You've got to start think, not you, but I mean, like some of these people out there listening, you got to stop thinking in terms of public and private relationships when you're talking about these gigantic multinational corporations because they are not they are not and probably have never been fully private like they got that big for a reason you know what i mean yeah amazon got start i mean it's a it's like one of the the biggest and most successful companies in the world right now but the government did give it a good deal of um startup money you know back in the back in the day so they are not a private company in the way that most people think they are um I, I just think in general, man, like conservatives and, and even libertarians, to me, the question that I ask these people, because when I, when I talk about some of my more populist nationalist policies, I get a lot of folks in the libertarian side like, no, you can't have government involvement in the economy. And I'm like, hey, man, do we have a sovereign nation that cares deeply about its people or do we just have an economy? Yeah. You know, that's to me, that's the question. Like, it, it, would, would a nation that deeply cares about its people let all of our manufacturing jobs be shipped overseas? Now that we know, maybe at the time it seemed like a good idea, but now that we know what impact that's had on like two generations of Americans and all these small towns, would a nation that cares deeply about its people do that? Would a nation that cares deeply about its people let BlackRock go and buy up subdivision after subdivision, forcing people to be perpetual renters? Like, I don't think so. I don't care what your economic theory is. If you care deeply about your people and your actual sovereign nation, it's not what you do. You're totally right. And that uh, I was for a while, I, I would have never accepted a label or anything, but I was definitely libertarian ish for quite some time. Um, and I still think that in a, in a snow globe universe, Austrian economics are probably the right way to go. But unfortunately I think that like a way that I've described this before, and I, I want to hear what you think about it, but if you think of, if you think of um, our sort of fiscal economic situation as if you're playing a game of Monopoly, you know how like the last 10 minutes of the game of Monopoly is a complete formality because everybody already know who won the game. Like it's over and you yeah. just keep rolling the dice because I don't know, you just feel like you're supposed to. Um, that's kind of where we're at right now. So if you just, if you just at least, you know, I can, I mean, Please correct me, whoever, but it seems to me that if you just implemented what these sort of Austrian economics for or Chicago school or any one of these more very conservative um, economic plans, that all that would happen is Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos would own the Rocky Mountains and, you know, uh, the I rest of us would be. Way. Yeah, I mean, it would just be over. It it would be completely over. You would have. You think you have an oligarchy now? You would have like little tiny, basically uh, Amazon sponsored nations throughout this country. It would be technocratic communism 
but it, well, it would be some version of technocratic communism. It'd be some very weird fascist mess. You know, it'd be something you'd probably have to name. You'd have to come up with your own name, but it would be some totally tyrannical, technocratic, oligarchic system that you would probably never be able to break. You know, I yeah, don't, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, I don't see how we're continuing to justify it, other than we're, we're running on. I think the GOP is counting on people not paying attention. The, and the left is counting on people being so blinded with their their hatred for the other side that they're just letting this slide. And the left has done a really good job of stamping out most of their populist ideas and replacing it with this woke culture. You know, because there was, a, I mean, Tim Pool talks about it all the time, but there was a time when like the Occupy movement and even before that, the, uh, the, the anti-World Trade Organization guys were talking about the same populist economic issues mm-hmm. in the late 90s and the mid 2000s. But then the woke ideology got pumped in um, into the left, and that became the the centering, you know, the centering principle on the left wing, as opposed to populist economic ideas. And we have a ch- we had a chance with Trump, as imperfect as a, of an instrument as he is, when he broke through the wall and said, like, "Hey, our, we can actually turn this around. We can bring back manufacturing jobs. We can do the right thing by our people." Um, you can critique Trump all day long for the for the way that the execution took place, but he broke through that ideology on the right. You know, in, in in many ways, but uh, but but I think it's it's really hard to justify right now what what is going on. So that's that's another reason why I am optimistic because I think there's a lot of people who would have had major ideological objections, you know, five, six, ten years ago for us saying some of the things that we're saying, you know, right now. I think people are hopefully going to be woken up to it. I I think you're totally right. I, I'm probably an example of this because five or six years ago the idea of being even tangentially connected to republicans i would have been like get out of here man no way you know i could just because i just couldn't stand those people and now i'm totally like i'm I'm looking for allies wherever i can find them right now and i think there are other people you know just to deal with the problems that we're having immediately and we can talk about the nuances later on but like let's let's solve this like We've got some pretty big issues that we should be able to at least come together on. Like, let's not let weirdos twerk in front of our kids or, uh, you know, like, let's stop having CNN supporting, you know, these this child stripping and stuff. Like, come on, man. This is Fucking insane. Like, it's insane, man. Hey, are you able to pause this real quick? I got to go grab yeah. my kid. He's screaming. I'll be, yes. I'll be right back. No problem, bro. Can push this. Okay. I didn't know what it would do actually right there, <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I kind of forgot we were, we had a family emergency to take care of there, which I, I get, man, if my kids were home, I'd be, <laughs> I got to do one of these one time when my wife was gone and I can't, I can't actually remember who I was doing it with, but I could hear my kids pounding on the, something on the wall upstairs. So, yeah. So I've been there. I know, I know what you're, I know what you're going through, man. But yeah. Anyway, I so just to I don't want to waste too much of your time today, but we were talking about allies and that kind of stuff. And I I've got kind of a little bit of a weird audience, and I'm hoping that maybe we can get some people in that area that are more maybe uh libertarian type or even to the right of libertarian type people to understand how important this 
uh, races, at least to me. Is, so when I look at your campaign, like, well, obviously, I think a lot of you as a man, so that's part of it. But um, you're you're a big family guy, which is huge to me. And after that, probably the number two thing is you're, you want to get out of all these stupid wars that we've been fighting for yeah. 20 years and like, just stop wasting blood and treasure. So Amen. I think for like the, the libertarian types, that's a big selling point. It has been like, I think I've told you this before you and Ron Paul are the only two politicians I've ever donated to. And well, thanks man. And that's, you know, honestly, a huge part of it is the, is the war, the warfare state. And so, you know, if we can get more guys like you that are in a position to speak from authority on this, like no one can try to pull your card and be like, exactly you, right. like some kind of wuss or something. It's like, well, I'll tell you, I'm sure. <laughs> David, David French will come try and punk me out. I'm sure. <laughs> it's, yeah. Isn't he a jag? He was a jack. At least he at least he went. I mean, unlike Bill Crystal and all those other knucklehead neocons, you know, like yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, David French. Holy crap. Um yeah. but yeah, so I that's a big deal. That's a really big deal to people right now. And and of course we're doing this Afghanistan withdrawal, which is great. I mean yeah. I'm definitely one of those people that I don't, I don't actually even care who gets them out of there at this point. Like, let's just get out of there. Nope. Me either, man. I mean, I, I say Biden should have done it when he was vice president, like you said, but Hey, I'll give him all the credit right now. Like I, yeah, as long as he gets them out, I don't care. I mean, the obvious question is like, why, why do they fight Trump so hard when he was trying to do this exact same thing? And then, and then we all, then they just sort of, you know, glossed over the whole fact that they lied about the Russian bounties. Um, and suddenly, like that's not a big deal that they lied about the Russian values to keep our troops in harm's way for another year. But but hey, whatever, I don't care. Just pull them out. Pull them out now. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you know what's so? And this is I know that you understand this, but just for anyone listening, when they do something like that, every single person who was wounded or killed after that is a life that they that is, in my opinion, that blood is on their hands. I mean, they yeah. don't see it this way, but I sure no, do you know yeah it's all a game to them yeah but they, but absolutely no I, I i totally see it that way and there's just been so many different chapters in in both the iraq afghanistan and syria there's there was these inflection points where we could have gotten people out but we just chose not to so like like you said i don't care who gets them i'm just glad that they you know people were freaking out like oh my god we just left uh kandahar in the middle of the night and i was like well thank god <laughs> right good yeah. good you're yeah. not going to catch me saying good to, to the biden administration very often but good on them like, yeah. <laughs> right i feel exactly Next to iraq that was a good battle drill do it out of iraq now yeah no kidding and yeah and one of the yeah in syria too like let's be yeah. let's, let's get out of there a fear that i have with this though is the the sort of neoliberal coalition has always been war hawkish i don't know where Oh yeah, we got this idea that they weren't, but they have always been war hawkish. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, okay, they opposed the Vietnam War. Well, it's a good, so a bunch of communists didn't want Americans killing communists in another country. Like, okay, yeah, if, yeah, like exactly. if that's your, you know, if that's your uh, definition of you know anti-war, then whatever. But yeah, and then, yeah, and Biden's got a very pro-war crew in there right now. So I mean, the question is going to be what's next i mean I, I think some of it is going to be the internal war on domestic extremists or whatever they're calling it the war on war on the deplorables that's that's definitely a part of it but yeah i mean whatever we can do to, to, to get folks out and then also just to I, I 
I think again, Trump being the imperfect blunt object that he that he was and he and he is, the way that he busted through the national security establishment, especially of right wing thinking. Even people that don't truly believe that we need to get out of the wars, they kind of have to say we do now because Trump shamed so many of them into it. And so did the base that, you know, I I think that's been overall a good thing. I don't know what the breakthrough is going to be on the left. They seem like they, the left gets in lockstep much better. So like what they did to, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, for example, is just shows how much of an uphill battle that's going to be. Oh, you're spot on. And I worry I'm sure other people are saying the same thing. I don't think it's like some kind of profound observation, but I, I really do worry that they're going to try to spin up a cold war type thing with China because it, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like, now you can say, you know what, as part of our infrastructure package, we need to get our steel mills up and operating back in Pennsylvania again. Uh, you know, because what if we do end up in a hot war, we, we need, we need still produced and, you know, they can start playing, pulling strings like this in these sort of purple States and, try to ensure you know another election victory as well and then china makes a lot of sense because they really are probably the closest thing we have to a near peer on the planet mm-hmm. and they have been aggressive and they've got nukes and all of that but they also probably don't really want to go to war with us right now outside of a cold war you know no so, i mean they don't need they don't need to because of what they're what they're doing with the economy i mean like we all of our production lines are are over there we rely on china to buy off our debt bonds i mean that's why i i do think that we need to get a wartime footing to get manufactured back in the country just for national security reasons alone but then also you know moral moral reasons as well we need to give people the opportunity to graduate high school and be able to go into a job that can help they that can help them raise a family on you know sure i i agree with you i agree with that for sure i don't i mean i don't know how you go about that but i agree with that 100 percent. and um you know throughout all of this we we still we're still china's customer you know like our largest you know uh importer right we import right. More, from, more from them than anyone so we've yeah. kind of stayed on their teeth but and then you know you have these neoliberals in there who are convinced that what brought us out of the great depression was world war ii you know it just seems like they're all of the i don't want to say incentives but you know everything sort of aligns in such a way that it would make sense for them to start getting very loud about china and i mean we'll see and and maybe we i mean i'm not even saying we need to pay attention to china i'm not saying we don't need to pay attention to china i'm just it just seems like i worry about where they go with that you know, be obsessed with Russia. That's that's the concern. Um, I, I think because they, I think the Biden administration has so many deep economic ties to China. They want to keep the status quo of us being deeply indebted to them, but they use Russia kind of as a straw man. I, I don't think Russia's anywhere near the boogeyman they think it is. Yeah, I get it. Putin's a bad guy. I mean, but if you really care about Putin, then you uh, you produce your own oil and you punish the Europeans for buying his oil because Russia is just a you know, gas station of nukes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they love they love making up all these. They're not making it up, but they love making a big deal about like, oh my god, what about Russia? Well, like, I mean, Russia. I think Texas's economy is like twice the size of Russia's. You know, like it's they're not the threat. But then you start looking at the head to head economic comparison that we have with China, and then you're like, okay, actually, these guys are definitely major players. You know, sure, yeah, none of us really. It, it well. I, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and pretend to be an expert, but I listened to a couple of 
podcasts about, about stuff in the Pacific theater. One of the Hoover institution ones I try to keep up on because I, cause I just didn't really know a lot about China and it does sound like it's, it, experts are kind of all over the place on China, whether their economy is real or whether it's not real, like what actually happens in business in China. I've heard widely disparate stories about, so it sounds like maybe we don't actually fully understand the way or what we don't fully understand what position China's economy is actually in. So there's that too, or at least it seems like that to me from the outside, which would make, we, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think we probably, I just don't think we've dedicated the resources to it. And a lot of that's just like, you know, there's only so many hours in the day and the intelligence community and the, the DOD has just been focused on building democracies out of uh, Pashtun tribes and Arab militias for the last two decades. <laughs> you know, this is, this is a pretty huge gap. Like how come we have the vast majority of our military and intelligence community that can tell you about the, uh, the tribal dynamics of, you know, uh, Peshawar and uh, Anbar province, Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, China's like gobbling up strategic ports throughout the world. And you're like, Oh shit, man, actually. We probably shouldn't have been paying attention to that. But I, I do feel like we, if, if we put our mind to it, we could bring back our manufacturing in this country and our energy independence in this country in a way that no country, no nation in the world could screw with us. Because this nation is truly blessed by divine providence. I mean, the, the resources we have in this country alone, we could, we could provide for our people and not really have to worry about as many foreign adventures. Yeah, I mean, we have lithium too. Um, I I don't know exactly how we're fixed for cobalt, but we have got lithium, and so yeah, we, I mean, we're so so we're sort of set up to move into the future that way. And I I agree with that. It'd be great to. I mean, I like the idea of becoming as. This is where libertarians get a little bit weird to me, I, and it's mostly because I probably don't have as as deep of an understanding as I need to have. But they all want they want free and fair trade, which is great, fine, but. They they have this major focus on personal financial freedom, you know, like sovereignty within your own home. Um, and sure, trade. Go ahead and trade with people, but make sure that you've taken care of yourself first. But somehow they don't scale that to, you know, the nation or their community. And I, that part I don't get because I'm like, yeah, let's trade with whoever we can. But what's also like make sure we're solvent here in America. Exactly. You know? Like that would be nice. Yeah. But all right, man, I, I've had you for an hour here and I don't want to drag you out any, any longer, but so tell us how we can, like, what would be the best way to help you? Cause I know in a primary money matters a lot, but also yeah. people on like support on the ground, I would think would be a big deal in a primary. It definitely is, man. So our volunteer base is going really well. We're around 255 volunteers. Um, like I, I told you before, we're, we're texting back and forth. You actually got some fans and, uh, in a couple of our rural counties, I've had people that come up and like, hey, man, I, I heard you on Braxton's show for the first time. So that's <laughs> that definitely helps, man. So, yeah, if you're out in, if you're out in the third district and you want to volunteer, come on out. JoeKenforCongress.com. There's a volunteer link on there or just send us an email and we'll get you set up or just come out and see us at one of the, the events. The donations help. Five, 10, 15 bucks goes a long way. And we're, we're running solely off of donations. So I beat all my other competitors, too, including the incumbent on individual donations. The only reason the incumbent beat me on overall numbers is because of PAC money. And she's right. getting PAC money from all the usual bad actors. But I want to really draw people's attention to the fact that Kevin McCarthy, the leader of the GOP, 
is supporting one of the impeachment voters and not just the one of the impeachment voters, the one that volunteered to be like the Democrat star witness in the impeachment trial and the one that's really been a zealot about the January 6th narrative that's being weaponized against all of us. So this is a classic example of like the GOP just thinks we're not paying attention. They think mm-hmm. they can go on Fox News and say like, boy, aren't the libs crazy? Socialism sucks. Send me money. <laughs> Meanwhile, they fund the very people that are smacking the Trump base in the face. So Yep. Don't give your money to the GOP. Give your money to a candidate, an America first candidate that actually, you know, reflects your, your ideas. So the donations really help too. Awesome. And for God's sake, vote in the primary. I know a lot of people don't vote in primary. I know. But... Seriously. Yep. All right, brother. Thank you. Um, Thanks, man. We'll just keep pushing you every time someone invites me on their stuff too. <laughs> well, please do, man. Yeah. yeah. And I'll come back anytime. Thanks for having me on. Hey, brother. Thank you. I want to say thanks again to Joe Kent for coming on. Please, if you're in Washington, volunteer to support that guy. He is the best candidate in this race. He's anti-war, and he's got the creds to be so. Follow him on Twitter. All you guys probably already do follow him on Twitter. He's got a great Twitter game. I'm sure he's on all the – I know he's on Instagram. I'm sure he's on all the other, you know, like Boomer, Facebook, and this kind of stuff. But go follow him everywhere. Support the guy. Give money if you can. He's the only politician that we need to get elected in this race, and we really, really need that guy in office. Uh, I'm not a Republican, as you guys know, but I will do everything I can to help that guy get in because we need somebody like that speaking against Bill Kristol and these other neocon warmongering. I had to edit that a little bit because I'm, I'm trying to be kinder, gentler, Braxton. I said some stuff in a space the other day that I shouldn't have said. Got a little, got, got a little too wound up. So I'm trying not to get myself kicked off of these socials so i'm, I'm gonna go ahead and cut out that last part that i said support joe however you can please follow me on twitter glass factory is going to ship uh, or has already shipped you're gonna be getting those things soon and thank you guys next week we're gonna talk to drew holden about a story that you guys have already forgotten about because the news cycle travels you know sc- uh, moves so quickly but we're gonna talk about fauci's emails and remind you guys what was in that that email dump drop whatever you want to call it uh it was a dump it was definitely a dumpster fire but we're going to go through that and remind you guys what was in there so tune in take care